0: Hello, welcome to the Stubborn Tortoise podcast. I'm Donna Pazdera. All right, today, this episode is pretty heavy, okay? And if you have trigger issues such as eating disorders or just issues with certain other things, um, just be warned, okay? I mean, none of it's that horrible, but it's just stuff that I think you probably should know before getting into this. I don't even know what. Well, I do know why I wanted to talk about this, but it <laughs> uh, it just wasn't planned, and it just sort of happened over the weekend, and uh, got me thinking about a lot of different things. And so, yeah. So this this is this is pretty raw, and um, and I'm certainly not expecting or wanting um, you know pity, or because I'm not. I'm I'm strong. I'm I'm fine. I'm great. Um, but sometimes it's kind of good to take a look back at yourself and kind of figure out how you got to where you are. So anyway, let's get going. So this is about a battle with self-image, self-worth, borderline eating disorder, and depression. So what does this have to do with running? A lot, actually. I generally place those demons on a shelf in the back of my mind, but they were stirred awake during a long run on Saturday. I set out to get in 14 miles by myself. And as usual, I started too late. It was 11 AM and it was unusually warm and humid. And so that wasn't much fun, uh, you know, especially this time of year. But anyway, I wore my vest uh, and I had a water bottle and a Gatorade um, in the other bottle. I had a gel, a couple of salt tabs, and half a packet of chews. I did have some jelly beans, but (laughs) they fell out of my pocket and I didn't realize this until (laughs) the end of my run. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I hadn't eaten breakfast and I opened the front door and then I shut it. And I thought, you know, I probably should eat something. So I pulled out a piece of leftover pumpkin pie from Thanksgiving and ate about half. I figured that would give me enough of a boost to get me through the first half but by the time I got to mile five and a half, I was starting to flag. I expected to find plenty of water fountains along the way, because this was the Salado Creek um, Greenway, and I hope I'm saying that right. It seems like everything in San Antonio is pronounced differently than you would expect it, but anyway, it's this really nice trail paved um, that goes all over the city, and uh, this particular one is near where I live, so you know, I'm usually you can find some water fountains, but anyway, I soon discovered that they were not at the trailheads, but they were at parks. And so you had to kind of really work your way in to get to the parks. So I did see one, um, that was about a mile and a half away. And I kept thinking, Oh God, I should just turn around. You know, I just, I don't want to do this to myself. But then I was just like, I stop stopping a baby and just go. And so I refused to cave in and I didn't cut the run short. So I made it to this park. I refilled my bottles, put some electrolyte mix in one of them, and I had my gel and rested for a few minutes. And then I started the return trip. Things felt pretty good for a few miles or a couple of miles, and then I started bonking hard. I was dehydrated from not taking in enough water earlier. I felt woozy. I shoved a couple of chews in my mouth. And I tried walking for a quarter mile and then running for a quarter of a mile. And this occupied my mind until I just didn't want to run anymore. And so I just ended up walking. Later, after finishing, I wondered why I let this happen to me. Sure, I didn't think it through. But what else was motivating me to behave like this? And then it hit me. I still have the occasional flare-up of an eating disorder. But with that realization, I started to recall a cluster of other issues that attached themselves like barnacles to my psyche. The eating disorder crept up on me. I was tallish for my age until around 10 years old, and instead of getting taller, I was getting heavier. And I remember my mom yelling at me one morning when I went for a second package of Dolly Madison Zingers. Do you know how many calories there are in those? She shouted at me. And my mom, who was overweight, was probably trying to spare me her fate, but in my 10-year-old's mind, I took it as something to be ashamed of. And when I went to the doctor for a checkup, I was deemed overweight and I was put on some sort of diet. And boys that I liked made fun of me because I was awkward and sort of chubby. One boy, who I liked, said I had a pot belly, something that still freaks me out. I have been, I'm still, I will never have a flat stomach, but anyway... Meanwhile, being at gatherings with my relatives or friends of my parents, my dad would sometimes compliment the same age relatives or the daughters of friends because they were talented at drawing or being athletic and implying that I was somehow inferior. And again, like my mom, I don't necessarily think my dad was being cruel. He just said stupid stuff sometimes, but that stupid stuff stuck in my young mind. And I, you know, and again, I realized that parents are not perfect creatures and you know, I'm not blaming them for, you know, what happened to me. I mean, I know some people might, but I I own up to my own, you know, way of interpreting things. Um, and it was around this time that I decided that I wasn't pretty. After all, girls named Donna in books I read were chubby, the friend, the nice girl. And I decided if boys weren't going to like me, I would be the smart one. And I was already good at school, loved drawing, riding my bike, and tried to prove to my dad that I was better than those other peers. In hindsight, I don't think my father was very good at showing his emotions and was awkward in expressing them. And it was also around this time that our family fell on hard times. The wonderful ranch-style brick house that my dad, uncle, and grandpa built to welcome me into the world became too expensive for us to afford. We had to sell the house and spend a summer living in the basement of a family friend. And from there, we bought a small house elsewhere, but we could no longer afford that. And just as I started high school, we moved into an apartment, which was humiliating. None of my friends had money problems or lived in an apartment. They went on vacation to Florida over spring break and fabulous places in the summer. My family only went to Illinois every summer, East St. Louis at that. It was my dad's hometown and where my aunt and grandparents lived. I began feeling guilty about our financial situation. I felt like it was my fault that things went bad. I felt guilty for eating, so I pretty much stopped. i just started high school and was brand new, and while all of my childhood friends went to the same couple of high schools just a few towns away, and it was definitely one of those so close but yet so far feelings. So I decided that in order to fit in and be popular, I needed to be thin. In addition to not eating much, I began running in place in a walk in closet in the apartment. And at the end of my freshman year, I decided to try out for the reserve cheerleading squad. I tried a couple of times in sixth and seventh grade and failed. There were six spots on the squad, and five of the freshman squad were expected to make it to the reserves. And that meant only one new person would be picked, in my mind. And in some crazy flip of fate, I made it. I would be a cheerleader and more importantly, I would be popular. My weight dropped to around 89 pounds, and on a then five foot two frame, that wasn't a lot. And I didn't want to lose more, but I definitely did not want to gain. So I also joined the drama club for good measure and got straight A's and I became a classic case of an anorexic, an overachiever, people pleaser, always trying to be the best. Cheerleading was one of those careful what you wish for things. I got along as well as I could with a clique of girls who were already friends and popular and they didn't really have a lot of room for including me. There was one girl, Linda, who befriended me and accepted me, but there were some things that even a teenage girl couldn't prevent. Three things stand out from that time. We were supposed to get our group photos taken at an appointed time, and my mom drove me to the place, but nobody was there. So then I later phoned the captain who lied and said that she had caught her house about the change and that I just didn't get the message. (laughs) The other thing was when we went out to eat after our final game, the five girls crammed into a booth leaving no room for me. And instead I was stuck sitting at a table with the advisors. I didn't make the squad the following year, which in retrospect was okay. But my bit of popularity led to a first date with a, a guy who was a year older, his name was Steve. He was 16 and I was 15. We went out a couple of times, no big deal, except he asked me if I knew Janice, this uber-popular girl. He figured I ran in her circle and might introduce them. <laughs> it was then I realized that he only liked me for who I might know. That summer I took a trip with my mom for my annual physical, I didn't think much of it until my doctor, the same one who told me I was chubby years before said I was borderline anorexic and she scolded me for being too thin and blamed fashion models and magazines for the problem. This was the mid-70s, long before 24-hour news and the internet. The following year, I started working at a fish and chips restaurant. Work kept me busy as well as school. I had a boyfriend and stopped obsessing about my weight. I gained a few pounds and didn't really worry about it. I made National Honor Society, which was one of my greatest accomplishments at the time. After I broke up with the boyfriend, my dad didn't like him. I had a troubled senior year. I didn't have a particular clique, although I related the stoners and geeks with equal measure. I was sort of an outcast who didn't fit in anywhere, and I began feeling this gray coating covering my feelings. Depression. I tried to strangle myself not particularly well. My parents found out, and one Saturday morning, they took me to a psychiatrist recommended by my pediatrician. It was harrowing as I tried explaining how I felt. I said I felt like there was a wall between me and my dad and that he favored my sister. I don't remember much else except a lot of crying and me hugging my dad afterward and telling him that I loved him. I managed to be a high-functioning depressive for years. Exercise usually helped. I still had trouble with guys. The same issues kept playing out. Guy liked me but wanted someone else. This still happens today from time to time. I got married two months after my dad died of cancer. Oddly, before he fell ill, we started getting along better, and I'm glad for that. Marriage, I realized, was my way of escaping the plight of living at home with my mom, um, grieving for the only man that she ever knew. You know, the funny part was, though, is my mom ended up flourishing after his death. She made more friends, took trips, and seemed happier than before. And the man I married was perfectly fine. He was kind, giving, and understanding. But in my mind, I kind of wanted something more challenging, so I left after two years. I was 26. The depression was manageable until I was 37, and my mom, who was dying of cancer, came to visit me in Florida, and I was getting over a horrible breakup and just could not shake the gray feelings clotting my emotions. I just remember wanting to die, and that was then I knew I just couldn't handle this on my own, so I went to my doctor, no, not that one, (laughs) and was prescribed with Zoloft, an antidepressant. In short, it saved my life. I still get down, but it buffers the crash like bubble wrap. I still take it today because the last time I tried to wean myself off of it, I ended up cutting open my arm and spending a weekend in a mental hospital. This was 15 years ago. I'm not ready to go into those details yet, but I will say it involved a guy whom I was seeing, and he admitted that he liked my best friend more. The same issues keep cycling through. And I've always tended to be the road not traveled I didn't remarry. I didn't have kids. And I'm okay with that. And and on the kids front, just so you know, I just cannot get pregnant. I've never been pregnant. And uh, so it wasn't that I didn't want them. It just never happened. And I just needed to be at peace about that. Um, And as I get older, I embrace my quirks. And I hope that I can be some sort of role model for those who want something different. I think I'm a happy optimistic person. I want to do new things and meet new people. And I don't want to waste my time surrounding myself with people whose company I don't enjoy. So I'm pretty okay being by myself. Um, I can sit in my house and not run the television or music or anything and just be in silence. And it's it feels okay. And I'm, you know, I know that seems kind of weird, but I kind of enjoy that. I do listen to music and watch television <laughs> at times, but I just don't have to have that on like company Um, And running, it turns out, is the one place where I'm always challenged. It doesn't come easy. Trail running in particular is where I found my tribe. I generally don't feel judged and fit in without trouble. And I feel like I have a lot of true friends that I've met through trail running. I know a lot of ultra runners have overcome depression, substance, and sexual abuse. And for me, getting out of my head and going elsewhere to face demons and pain is kind of helpful. I still have flare-ups of self-image, self-worth, eating, acceptance, and relationships with men. And running is certainly not a panacea, but it does help cope with the hand that you're dealt. That's all I've got for now. I'll see you next time.